Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies, human beings, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. Living an active lifestyle can now impact more lives than just your own. Our guest today, Charity Miles founder Gene Gurkoff, developed an app that enables people to turn their physical activity into money for charity. For every mile of movement recorded, users earn money from corporate sponsors for a charity of their choice. Charity Miles supports more than 40 nonprofit organizations, including the ASPCA, Habitat for Humanity, St. Jude's Children's Hospital, UNICEF Save the Children, and the Wounded Warrior Project. Whether you prefer to walk, like Gene is doing right now on our live recording, run, or bike, Charity Miles is free to use and creates an impactful way to track your fitness. And I'm proud to say that a few weeks ago, I just signed up. Gene, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Thank you, Aaron. Welcome to Charity Miles. I'm glad that you signed up. I'm psyched. I love it. And, you know, off air, I was just telling you that uh, I kind of fanboyed you and Charity Miles off of the great social networking tool, LinkedIn. And I'm like, I got to have this guy in my podcast. This is awesome. And I can't believe I hadn't heard of it. So my job is to help evangelize Charity Miles and you and everything you're doing to make sure more and more people walk for charity and run for charity and move for charity. So let's just start in the way, way back. Well, compared to me, you're a very young man, but my notes here say that you actually, like a lot of people, wanted to be a lawyer or you were a lawyer. You actually were a practicing attorney. And now it sounds like you're a, one's an attorney, always an attorney, but you are a recovering practicing attorney. Yeah, Why the switch? That's right. And it looks like you made the switch about 10, 11 years ago to launch Charity Miles. Well, that's right. I was a lawyer. And when I was in law school, I started to run marathons to raise money for Parkinson's disease in honor of my grandfather who had Parkinson's. My grandfather was a lawyer. He was really, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of really great role models. And my grandfather was chief amongst them. So I always, you know, wanted to follow in his footsteps, become a lawyer, and then go into business like he did. I also was like really interested in like technology. And I had made like another app that failed on the side. And I don't know, like a whole bunch of things kind of came together in this moment when like the iPhone kind of was just really new, where I thought if I could get all the people like me on one side of the phone together, then companies would want to be on the other side of the phone and sponsor us and we could all become sponsored athletes for the charities that we care about. So it was kind of like a whole big mix of soup that I still haven't figured out like a concise way of telling that story of how I came up with it, but it was kind of like a thunderbolt moment. I would say that's very concise. And I guess that thunderbolt <laughs> moment somehow led you, and now I understand the connection with your grandfather, to partner with Michael J. Fox Foundation. So I'm sure that you had no fear and all sorts of courage, and you just kind of reached out to them and hustled. But I think that sounds like it's a critical part of this founder's story. Yeah, so that's kind of part of that like soup that I mentioned that I don't really have like the concise way of weaving it all together. But so when I was in law school, this is going back, I'm not that much younger than you. 2002, I ran my first marathon and I was doing it to raise money for Parkinson's, like I said, and I was doing it for the Parkinson's Disease Foundation because my grand, that's who we supported. My grandfather was involved there. And I started to see all these other charity teams, like for MS and cancer and different things. And I thought we should have one for Parkinson's. And at the time, it wasn't really that popular of a thing. So I asked the Parkinson's Disease Foundation if they wanted to do it. And they didn't want to do it. And then my grandfather's friend was involved with Michael J. Fox. So he introduced me to Michael J. Fox and the co-founder, Debbie Brooks. 
the CEO of the Fox Foundation, Debbie Brooks, and I said, do you want to do like Team Fox? And they didn't want to do it either. But I just graduated law school and I was starting to practice at a firm in New York called Scadden, which is like a really big firm. And they needed legal work done. So they asked me if I would do some pro bono legal work with them and Scadden let me do that. So I started to do legal work with them. I did like their office leases and a whole bunch of other stuff. And over the course of the year, kind of started Team Fox, me and some other people. We were kind of like the founding members of what, what became Team Fox. And now Team Fox is one of the top peer-to-peer grassroots fundraising organizations in the world, raised over $10 million a year. It's an incredible, incredible community. I'm running the Chicago Marathon for them this year. And I can't say enough great things about Team Fox. So if anyone out there is looking for a great charity to support, Michael J. Fox Foundation, it's an incredible organization. Now, how do you, I mean, you have what, about 40 or more than 40 charities now that the app supports? Yeah, I think it's like up to almost 60. Wow. How do you go about convincing and reaching out to them? I mean, I've done, and I continue to do a lot of work with all sorts of nonprofits, both large, small, international, regional, national, what have you. And, you know, they have a lot of different, they are, you know, typically, as you know, under-resourced, understaffed, but have very large ambitions and very important milestones and objectives in the world to meet their community's needs, right? How did you get their attention and how did you become, I mean, it sounds like it would be a no-brainer if you're a nonprofit, but again, they have a lot of calls and asks for their time, right? How did you get that momentum? Because it sounds like in some ways, I mean, look, having the Michael J. Fox Foundation, I think gives everybody, it gives your organization a lot of legitimacy. And it's like fundraising. Once you get the first one in, the others will follow. I imagine that was helpful as well. Yeah. You know, you ask that question. Usually what people ask me is like, how do I get my charity in it? Not like, how do you convince charities to be in it? So, but you are actually asking it in the exact right way, because when I started it, we started with 10 charities and they were all world-class organizations, which was, I think, something that, like you correctly said, gave us some legitimacy. And it was actually pretty hard to get those first 10. I wouldn't say it was very hard. The 10 that we started with, for the most part, I'd say like the first five that I kind of signed up before we launched were charities that I had built relationships with. Because, you know, at Scadden, when I was doing work for Michael J. Fox, you know, when one of the other partners at the firm was, you know, on the board of Habitat for Humanity, he had asked me to do the legal work for that. So I started developing relationships with other charities. And then also I mentioned that I built another app that failed. And that was also kind of in the charity space. So there was a lot of charities that had been like asking me if I could help them think about what it would be like to build an app for them. And this is like very early on in like the iPhone days. And I kept telling them, like, trust me, you don't want an app. It's like a terrible idea because this other app like totally failed. I'm like, and it was expensive. It's really expensive. You don't want an app. And these charities kept asking. And that's kind of what led me to that Thunderbolt moment when I thought of charity models and everything came together. So I kind of just like, you know, asked these charities that I either had built relationships with through like Team Fox and the charity work that I was doing or through this other app. And they all liked the idea. And even though they really liked the idea, still had to kind of jump through a lot of different hoops to get them to officially say yes. And then we started it. And then since then, you know, we've had some, I'm not going to say it's like a rocket ship success. There's been a lot. (laughs) I've gone broke several times in this and I've almost gone out of business several times. But, 
you know, we've had a lot enough success where like every charity wants to be in charity miles. And so like every day we've got like, you know, five plus charities that reach out to us that want to be in the app. And the only thing that I really don't like about charity miles is that I haven't really been able to help them. I haven't been able to add them to the app for a few different reasons, but we've been working on those reasons and we're actually about to create some changes to charity miles that we've been working on for the past few years so that we can open it up to all the charities that want to join us, which I'm really excited about. So I have so many questions. The first is why did your first app fail and what did you learn from it? Oh man, I don't know if we have enough time in this podcast for all the reasons. Well, that give us the headlines, the short version. I did everything wrong. I mean, I had no background in technology. I don't know how to develop anything. I'd never developed anything. And I never heard, I never, you know, heard of like the lean startup method. I never validated the idea. I never, like I had this idea, basically what it was, it was an app where you could take a picture with your phone, type in a message, and we would print and mail that as a real postcard to your congressman or to some political figure or public figure. And it was called postcard petitions. And it was an advocacy tool. And the idea was like, because actually the, what gave me the idea is that the year before New York State passed a billion dollar stem cell bill for Parkinson's research and other diseases. And I realized that I could never run enough marathons to raise a billion dollars. But if I could get people to advocate more effectively for these causes, then maybe we could get more like real huge money into the research. And I told that idea to everyone. I was like, everyone's like, oh, I love that idea. I can't wait to do that. I want to send my congressman so many postcards but that wasn't really good feedback like they just said that they wanted to do it they didn't really think about it and then when i made it nobody did it and so i did like i didn't have any minimum viable product i hired like an expensive developer who i think took me for a ride because he knew that i was green and you know i just spent so much money on like that first version and once we got it out there I didn't have very much money left or if any money left to kind of iterate on it. I had no marketing plan. I thought I was just going to like put it out in the world. And it would, you know, one person would tell two people would tell four people and it would just go viral. I had no idea like how viral networks work. I had no idea how marketing plans work. I just, everything about it, I did wrong. And I'd like to say that I learned all those lessons for charity miles, but I didn't. <laughs> Don't you think you're being a little hard on yourself? I mean, this is what, 2008, 2009? Yeah, that was 2008, nine. Yeah. Okay. So just to remind our listeners, you know, iPhone invented, uh, sorry, hit the market in 2007, 2008. Right. It was very early. You know, social media though, in 2008 for the Obama campaign was huge. It was the first real social media movement. So you have those rightfully thinking, okay, I've got some, you know, tailwinds behind me. This is a great fucking idea. It is a good idea, by the way. You know, it's funny just because I'm in a software startup now and we do have a very strong MVP and we're selling, but it's so funny to hear you say how everybody up front's like, yeah, yeah, man, you know, great idea. And yeah, I'll do that. You know, I had the same experience. This is a little bit different. It's B2B, it's enterprise, but so many brands are like, yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Dude, sign me up. And as soon as it was ready, they're like, <laughs> well, you know, well, yeah. this other service and whatever. I'm like, okay. Right. It's just that's just part of the entrepreneur's journey, right, man? It's just, you have to yeah. still stay, stay with it, and you did because had you not stuck with it, even though it might be in a different form, we wouldn't have charity miles, and we wouldn't have you wouldn't have been behind raising millions and millions of dollars to improve people's lives and even save lives today. So failures, yeah, I appreciate that. Is, I think, but that's just my I, own. Yeah, I mean, opinion. it's a fail. 
it definitely you got to learn from your failures. Although I, these are lessons that I keep having to learn. Like every single time we have like a new idea, like with charity miles for like a feature or something, like we got to, I keep having to like bring myself back to that before like going like full on into it. Got to really test it out and try to invalidate it as much as possible before you go too big on it. So I keep having to like remember those, these lessons. I've learned them many times. <laughs> I have to relearn them many times. Let's talk about going big for a second. I don't think enough people fully embrace or understand unless you're in kind of like the the running or the kind of participant sport world, how much and how many millions, hundreds of millions of dollars athletes like us, everyday athletes like us raise. And even non-athletes, people who just move, raise for charities. It is astonishing and it does not get enough attention. It is pretty cool. And it's a really interesting phenomenon that I haven't really figured out. I'm really interested in like understanding it because you don't see that phenomenon in hardly anything else. Like everybody's like, I love to ski. I've never said, Hey, I'm going skiing this weekend. Would you sponsor me for Parkinson's? Right. It, like, <laughs> right. Actually, I just came back from a conference in Atlanta called the peer to peer fundraising forum, which is all about peer to peer fundraising. And there is now a lot more diversity in the types of things that people do. They do parties, they do, you know, mustache growing. They do, there's all sorts of other interesting things that people have been coming up with, but it's nothing like the phenomenon of like the March of Dimes and all these giant charity walks where tens of thousands of people come together to walk in support of a cause or to run a marathon in support of a cause. And it, it is a non sequitur because you know, instead of saying, hey, I really care about Parkinson's, my grandfather has, and I want to help fund a cure for Parkinson's disease, would you make a donation to the Michael J. Fox Foundation? I'm out there saying, hey, I'm running a marathon. Would you make a donation for Parkinson's research? Really, the first argument or the first request should be the one that we do. But instead, we kind of come with these roundabout ways of doing it, which I haven't really figured out. But that's what we do. I guess that's what Charity Miles is about. There's this culture of us doing that. Yeah. And just a reminder to our listeners, Gene does all of his, or most of his meetings and definitely all of his podcasts while walking. <laughs> he is, he's actually running at about a 610 pace right now. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, study right. his voices. <laughs> Sorry if you hear me sniffle a little bit. It's cold here. And there's a train going, but I'm not sure if you can hear the train. They can totally hear the train. I like it. It, <laughs> it adds a little bit of color to the podcast. You know, my first marathon and my first Ironman was in 2012. It was a New York Mar- New York Ironman. One and oh, I did that one too. One. Did you? Yeah. All right. That's amazing. So you remember. So it was a we very can, hot I wanna, day. I'll have to show you my right calf, the Statue of Liberty and the MDOT ink on my right calf. It was a very hot day. And that was, again, it was my first both marathon and I was 41, almost 42, my first full Ironman. And I raised almost $30,000 for a charity called Center Lane, which is part of Westchester Jewish Community Services, which is an organization that supports LGBTQIA plus youth and their allies. And what was so important was that I knew that I couldn't let those kids down, you know, and there's actually even, it's a long story here. There's actually a Wall Street Journal story on me doing it for them. And my quote was, I'll crawl if I have to, but I got to finish for them. <laughs> Did you crawl across the line? I did not. But it, I mean, it was a long day. I think it was 13-13. It was a long, long day and a lot of dry heaving on the West Side Highway. You remember how hot it was. It was my first one. So I think we finished about the same time. Yeah, yeah. That was a tough day. But it was also the most one of the most amazing days of my life because it's a win-win-win-win-win-win when we do these things, right? And 
with the exception of Boston Marathon coming up in April, from that moment on, every long race, including even, say, half marathons, I've always run for charity. Always. Always to benefit someone else, whether it's uh, swimming, running, biking, or all three. And I just think it's, it's a great way for true mutuality where everybody wins because you're also helping yourself. Right. Yeah. Getting healthy. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's a great story about the Ironman. And I, yeah, I think that there is something there where like you do something good for yourself and it makes you also want to help others. People say like, Oh, I feel bad about being selfish for taking this time. I want to also spend, I'm not really sure that it's selfish to go for a run, but yeah, it's just, a, it's a really interesting kind of phenomenon how people associate the two and I don't fully understand it, but I guess I don't really need to understand it. It's just what we do. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about the focus of the charities. You know, they're quite diverse. You've got a lot of healthcare-oriented ones. You know, actually, I signed up for Wounded Warriors. Will you or do you have also charities that focus on, now that we're talking about, you know, self-care and compassion, mental health and well-being? Because there's such a direct connection, obviously, between staying active and your mental health and well-being. Yeah, we actually support and work with a really great charity called Active Minds which is a mental health charity. And we want to add more. Like I said earlier, like I don't like that we're only 60 charities. We have so many great charities, including many mental health organizations that would like to join us. And we're working hard to be able to, to add more of them. But mental health is so important. And actually, it brings up, I think mental health is something that just permeates the Charity Miles community, regardless of what charity you're walking for. It's something that our community really cares about. In fact, I'll tell a quick story. I think going back like three years, it was around New Year. I think it was New Year's Eve, like around New Year's. I, we I have an incredible, our community is incredible. And the relationship that I am privileged to have with our members is just, I don't even really know how to describe it, but I can tell you some stories. But this one story, I sent a newsletter out and had a survey attached. I was like, hey, you know, I really want to know your goals for the next year. I think this was like 2019. What are your goals? And people took the survey and it was anonymous. and. People were, oh, I want to run a marathon, or I want to lose weight, I want this, I want it. And somebody wrote back, I want to stop hating myself. And I was like, whoa, that is really... So I decided to write another newsletter to our members, just saying, like, you know, somebody wrote this in. I don't know who it is, but I just want to speak to that person if they're reading this, and also to everyone else, because if one person is feeling this way, Many other people are feeling that way. And depression is something that I have personally struggled with a lot in my life, and especially since becoming an entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur yourself, you might have experienced that well. I know it's something that there can be a lot of dark times when you're an entrepreneur. And I just think it's like really important to not stigmatize mental health and that be able to talk about it. And so our community, we do have like a pretty open conversation pretty regularly in our content and the things that we talk about in our community about mental health. And yeah, I think I just, it's just really, really important. Mental health is something that's just really important to me personally. And actually also going for a walk, by the way, is like the best thing that you can do for your mental health. I totally agree. I was forced to become a walker in December of 21 because I had my rotator cuff repaired. So I walked about 40 miles a week for a couple of weeks. Wow. Because, you know, I couldn't, yeah, but you know, I took, it's like you, I did a lot. It, unfortunately, it was like December, January. So it was a little cold. Yeah. But, you know, I couldn't have the kind of up and down and pounding from running yet, but I did a lot of calls, but a lot of thinking. And, you know, as you know, walking also conditions your body differently than running and you actually need both 
to stay injury free and, and healthy. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of the walking. I'm not the fastest walker though. I will say I don't know why. I like, to be, I like to be slow with my, well, I like to take my time. My wife is always telling me to walk faster, but I'm actually making a new app. So we work with, this is interesting. So we work through, we have something in charity models called our employee empowerment program, which is something that allows companies to sponsor their employees for charity. And so we've worked with, I think close to a thousand companies by now of just doing these employee engagement initiatives. And in doing that, you know, we see how all these different ways that companies are trying to promote walking amongst their employees and how like people, especially now, just have Zoom fatigue where they sit and they just do Zoom after meeting, Zoom meeting, Zoom meeting, Zoom meeting, and they just sit at their desk all day and they never move anywhere. So I'm actually making a new app called Walking Meetings, which is all to facilitate exactly what I'm doing now, taking your meeting out on a walk when you can. Obviously, can't not every meeting is going to be a good meeting to walk in, but you know to help facilitate and encourage people to take their meetings out on a walk like I'm doing now because really going for a walk it's obviously important for your physical health, but for your mental health, I just think that there's almost nothing better. It's so funny in our software company, we actually pitched a guy and won his business, and every time we spoke to him, he was, he actually walks on a treadmill all day. He does all of his calls. <laughs> And even his emails is just very slow, but he's got it all set up where it's one of those walking desk, stand up desk treadmills. And it's super impressive. That's like eight hours a day or longer. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Might as well. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, how many employees do you guys have now? We're five people, small but mighty. Five doing the work of 50, I'm sure. Yeah. Are you a nonprofit? We are structured as a for-profit company. Okay. Like a public benefit corporation or... It's not legally a public benefit corporation, but it's essentially like the same as a B Corp. Because we basically, well, I guess we're, we're structured as a for-profit corporation. We haven't really made a profit yet. <laughs> but we support all the charities. And it's actually one of the reasons that we're structured as a for-profit corporation, on top of the fact that I want to make a profit one day, is that it's, the money that companies give us oftentimes isn't charitable money. It's money that that's meant for a business purpose, whether that's for advertising or... And so it's actually more tax efficient for them to treat it as a business expense than as a charitable donation. Makes total sense. That's, that's kind of why I was asking. Yeah. And you have, you have operations to fund mostly, or I guess it's, it's not just maintaining the app. And I don't think a lot of people realize how much effort and how much development time goes into not just maintaining an app, but making sure that there are, you know, sprints and enhancements and you're seeing around corners because it's odd to say this, but competition in your space is tough. Now, the more that are in it, great, because the more that benefit, but at the same time, you know, you have charities that you're made commitments to that you want to be able to serve, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I would say that we, we don't really sprint so much. We jog <laughs> as a small <laughs> team, but we do, we're always trying to improve the app and it is, it's hard and it's expensive. And, you know, whenever there's an article about the top five running apps, we're usually one of them, which is crazy. It's like Nike, Under Armour, Strava, and us. And like, we're a tiny company. Like, we're really small. And these are huge companies with like, you know, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars behind their app operations with huge teams. But, I, you know, we're a very simple, I think, minimalistic app that does one thing and we do it well. And I think that, the, you know, it really comes down to the strength of our community and the incredible people that are part of our community that make it so special. It's not the app. We've had eight people walk or run across the United States with Charity Miles. Actually, I was just in Atlanta. I'll tell you one more quick story. So I was in Atlanta. I, 
one of the people that walked across the United States with Charity Miles lives in Atlanta, and I had dinner with him the other night. And he didn't just walk across the United States. He walked from Key West to the northwest tip of Washington State, 4,500 miles. Which is really a diagonal. <laughs> a diagonal. Right? He didn't just go east to west or west to east, which other people have done, which is also incredible. This guy went diagonally across, tip to tip, and he was 11 years old. Wow. Wow. Type 1 diabetes, he was 11 years old. He's 15 Wait, but he didn't do that alone, right? He, was, he had some sort of chaperone somewhere on a bike or in a car or something. His dad walked with him, and his mom, younger brother, and younger sister packed up the car and, like, drove, you know, kind of handled logistics on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, lived, they li- basically lived out of their Jeep for a year. Absolutely the most incredible thing I've ever seen. We have one young man who I just interviewed for my podcast who reached out to me. His name is John Montoya, or Jonathan Montoya. He's from Mexico. He is currently a year into a seven-year journey to walk around the world, but not just around the world, to all seven modern wonders of the world with Charity Miles. The most unbelievable thing. And he, I think he, he's at the first one now, which is, in, I can't remember exactly which one it is, in Mexico. And just crazy that people are doing that with Charity Miles. One guy ran across the United States barefoot. He's the first person to run across the United States barefoot. His name is Barefoot Jake Brown. He's actually one of the first probably 100 people to download Charity Miles. I was with him on the first day in Huntington Beach. When he came in to New York City, I was with him. We crossed the GW Bridge. He slept at my apartment in New York City. We ran out to Jacob Reese Park in Queens on Saturday. He jumped in the ocean. And then the next day was Sunday. He ran the New York City Marathon with me also barefoot. Entirely barefoot every step. That's nuts. I hope you forced him to take a shower before he slept in your apartment because I'm sure there's a hygiene situation <laughs> going on there. Yeah, he, his feet were like leather. I can't even imagine. I'm not a foot person. I don't even look at my own feet. I've got feet <laughs> issues, the opposite of a fetish. So let me ask you this. And you've been so generous with your time, especially walking or me walking alongside of you while you're talking. But why is it that, so I'm a big Strava head and I'm on Zwift and all those things, but especially Strava, right? How come they're not doing this? They should be able to do this. And I know that there's an integration. I, I forget who you integrate with. I don't know if it's Strava or Garmin. I can't remember who I connected to. We connect with Strava. There you go. Why don't they just do this themselves and or just acquire you to be a point solution? That's a very important point solution. Well, since we work with Strava and a good friend of mine, like one of my closest friends used to work there. And I've had, I think I just kind of have a little bit of an understanding of them. They're, what they do, they do one thing really well. They're the social network for athletes. And mm-hmm. I think that that's what makes them such a good app. They're not trying to do the tracking. Like you can, you can track your run using the Strava app, but most people will just connect it to their Peloton or their Garmin or their Zwift yeah, or whatever they're using backup. to track their run. Garmin dies on me. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. They're just, they want to be the social network for athletes and they're just laser focused on that. And I think that that's what makes them a strong app. And that's what we do as well. Like we just want to be the charity miles app like we're not looking to be a social network we don't have any social networking features we're not looking to map your run we don't give you like statistics on your run if you want data like i use garmin i use strava i I use those for their singular purposes and i use charity miles for its singular purpose i think that where a lot of apps get into trouble is where they try to do too many things and cram too much into one thing that makes the app 
story confusing. So if I had to hazard a guess, that might be why. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And just, you know, for our listeners, it's super easy to find Charity Miles on the App Store. And it is a very clean, very user-friendly, very easy app to navigate. And I say that knowing because I've had to suffer through this myself. For our listeners, you don't know how many hours and how many conversations and consternations and decisions and decisioning that goes on behind these things. It is ridiculous. It is unbelievable. All to make it a performative, pleasant experience. So I think you've accomplished that, Gene. And just a quick shout out for our listeners. What is your podcast? And I'm sure they can find it wherever they find their favorite podcast. What's it called? The podcast is called The Extra Mile, or you could just search Charity Miles and it'll come up. And it's a podcast where I interview people who are going the extra mile in life of all sorts, you know, entrepreneurs, charity founders, world champion athletes, U.S. senators, everyday people, this guy who's walking around the world, authors, thought leaders. And we try, almost all of them are done on a walk or a run, and we invite you, the listener, to walk or run with us. You know, Gene, I accept your invitation to come on your show. I'm, I'm <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Anytime. Maybe we could do it in Boston when we run the, but we can do it live from Boston. Let's do that. Absolutely. I might be out of breath and wheezy, but let's do it. Listen, man, <laughs> it was so great to have you on. I appreciate you allowing me to stalk you on LinkedIn to have you on this Thank because I'm sure. sure like me, you got a lot of like creepy people like trying to connect and trying to sell you stuff and I think you recognize quickly. I wasn't trying to sell you anything. I, I wanted to help you sell more and donate more and, and get it. more people involved. So thank you. Enjoy the rest of your walk and your day and good luck with your training. And I will see you in Hopkinton at the start line. Yeah, if not before. Maybe we'll meet up at the expo. That sounds good too. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Brand on Purpose, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven companies, organizations, and people. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our production team, including Maria Bias, Michael Grubbs, Anna Lamb, Haley Sackett, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show, sponsorship opportunities, and hosts by emailing BOP at kwtglobal.com or visiting aaronquitkin.com. Find us on LinkedIn and Instagram under Brand on Purpose Podcast.